Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of my podcast, Mass Historia. I'm your host, Laura L. Thank you for tuning in to check it out. Now, for a little background before I get into the episode, I'm going. I'm doing this show for a couple of reasons, for fun and personal enjoyment, but also for another reason that I feel is important, particularly at this time. Too many people, it seems, have little to no knowledge of any kind of history. A couple of great quotes emphasize what I'm expressing. First writer George Santayana, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Second, from President Harry Truman, the only thing new in the world is the history you do not know. Both very true, and so it does concern and sometimes alarm me when people know nothing of what has come before them. Unfortunately, they tend to feel it has no connection to their current lives. However, our past and future are, are completely intertwined, and I think too many people dismiss that. So I decided to do a podcast that would be fun, yet informative, about past events. My goal is to have you go away learning something you may not have known before, or if you did, you learned something fresh about it. Also, to hopefully get you to feel connected to your past and spark an interest to search for yourself. The subjects will be on an array of history from all areas and genres. It won't always be the case, but I'm going to zero in on events that had an immediate impact on altering or shifting the future. Now, all history by its nature changes the future, but sometimes certain events cause immediate responses that change the landscape in a way that may not have occurred had it not been for that event, or at least not at that time. Those moments in history can be quite interesting and intriguing, and those are the ones that really tether you to the past. At the end of each show, my closing phrase will be, Seek out history. It can always teach you something new, which I personally know to be true. And so, let's jump right in. My first episode will be about the Coconut Grove nightclub fire that took place in Boston, Massachusetts on November 28, 1942. This is an event that would have long-range effect in a number of areas, as you will hear. The Coconut Grove Nightclub opened its doors in 1927 in the Bay Village section of Boston, Massachusetts, and for the next 15 years had its ups and downs as an establishment, including open ownership by and connections to mob figures, as well as navigating the years of prohibition in America. A speakeasy was actually in operation at the Grove, as it came to be known during those years. However, it managed to survive, and by the closing days of 1942, had once again become a preeminent spot to see and be seen in the nightlife circles of this major East Coast city. It was frequented by everyone from major celebrities of the day to your average citizen just looking to have a night on the town. Now, by November of 1942, of course, we as a nation were now fully engaged in World War II, which we had entered almost exactly a year to the day of this event. And the Coconut Grove was a favorite spot of servicemen and their sweethearts looking to forget just for a little while where they had come from on leave and or where they were about to go. 
So on the Saturday evening of Thanksgiving weekend, many of them crammed into the nightclub along with other revelers and football fans of the Boston College Holy Cross College game played earlier that day. And one major celebrity was also present that night, cowboy actor Buck Jones, who was on a war bonds tour, but at the club to attend a dinner in his honor. It is estimated that 1,000 plus people were packed into the club whose capacity limit was 460. This would be one element of a catastrophe about to occur that would be hard to comprehend. The club, as you may have figured by its name, had a theme of a tropical South Pacific setting, which involved decorations that displayed this theme. Leatherette, bamboo, rattan, heavy drapery, and blue satin canopies covering the walls, as well as support beams made to resemble coconut trees with light fixtures in them made to look like coconuts, all made for a wonderful sensation of eating, drinking, and dancing the night away in a tropical heaven. On the main floor is the main dining room, a ballroom with a bandstand, a bar area, and a just-open new section called the Broadway Lounge. And in the basement, a cozy smaller area called the Melody Lounge. And so the scene is set. All seems well until about 10.10 p.m. where it begins in the Melody Lounge. From later witness statements at that time, a busboy is ordered by the bartender to climb up above one of the tables and adjust a light bulb that was out in one corner. It's believed a patron, in order to have more privacy with his date, had unscrewed it. The busboy, Stanley Tomasuski, 16 years old, climbs on a chair, is unable to see the bulb in the dark, so he lights a match, tightens the bulb, which comes right back on, blows the match out, and gets down. At 10.15, patrons notice what appears to be a flicker of fire in the same area where the bulb was attended to. The palm fronds decorations began to turn color and burn. Waiters scrambled to extinguish the now-growing fire with water, and in an effort to separate the burning material from the ceiling, they pulled it away from the wall. Unfortunately, by doing that, they opened up a panel into the false ceiling above. It is at that point the hungry fire in search of oxygen exploded along the ceiling. Panic set in and people scrambled to the only way out of the basement Melody Lounge, a narrow set of stairs up to the main floor and what should have been an exit at the top of the stairs to their left. But something else wanted out too. The oxygen-starved fire rolled across the ceiling, and as toxic gases and oppressive heat began to rise, it roared up the same stairs, raining fire and burning ceiling on top of those trying to escape. The ones who reached the top of the stairs moved quickly to the door on their left, expecting immediate freedom and safety from the fire and now toxic black smoke right behind them. To their terror, they found it locked. The only exit they knew to head for was the main entrance, a revolving glass door. As they did so, the fire and smoke accompanied by heat and toxic gas had now reached the top of the stairs, engulfing anyone in its way. The lights in the club then went dark. 
As it found fresh oxygen and new fuel from the decorations on the main floor, it exploded in a ferocious surge, overtaking the main entrance, dining room, dance floor, and rushing into the new Broadway lounge before many patrons knew what was even happening. In a shocking display of its force, from the first flicker to it reaching the Broadway lounge took only five minutes. In that five minutes, the entire club was engulfed in flames with an estimated 1,000 people inside. The lucky ones found their way out through the kitchen exits, windows, doors they were fortunate to find usable. A few even went into the freezer in the kitchen to hide until they were eventually rescued. Some couldn't tell you how they survived. It was all a blur. And some escaped, but not before severely injured, burned, or lungs filled with heat and toxins, surviving through the help of a loved one or a stranger. But the unlucky were the ones no one would ever forget. Those who reached the main exit, the glass revolving door would quickly find there would be no exit. With the crush of people against it, it jammed and broke, as many piled on top of one another, many suffocating in the crush. And if they didn't die that way, the heat, fumes, and fire found them. All to the horror of people watching from the street, including the arriving fire department, who were unable to gain immediate entry due to the level of the fire. Others would try to exit through doors they found intentionally locked. Other exits hidden or made hard to identify delayed people by precious moments that often meant the difference between life or death. And finally, some people were overtaken so quickly by smoke and toxic gases they never got up out of their seats, later found still sitting with drinks in their hands. The final death toll still haunts Boston today. Of those 1,000 patrons there, 492 people went out for a night on the town and never came home. That's 32 over what should have been the club's full capacity. Official death number 491 was actor Buck Jones, who died two days later from burns and lung damage, two weeks shy of his 51st birthday. The Coconut Grove fire remains the worst nightclub fire and second worst fire in U.S. history. It took the Boston Fire Department an hour to get the fire under control and to a point where they could enter the premises. In a stroke of luck, they happened to be nearby at the time it started. They were attending to a car fire when one of them noticed smoke coming from the club. It would eventually go to five alarms. The consequences and effect of this disaster would stretch a long way into history. First question, of course, was what caused this to happen? The official report to this day lists the causes unknown. But over the years, new investigations have provided for new theories. What many assumed to be the most plausible one, it started when the busboy lit his match, was quickly dismissed as the cause by the fire department. The more likely answer now appears to be a short circuit of the substandard wiring behind the wall, which was then fed by a chemical used in the air cooling system. Methyl chloride. Methyl chloride was used instead of the more common Freon, which was in short supply during the war. Now, how the fire came in direct contact with the chemical is not certain, 
But the theory gained credibility from witness accounts of the color of the fire and the smell that in later years were point to methyl chloride being present. Once the fire hit the opening above the false ceiling and met the chemical and flammable decorations, it pretty much had its way. It is, however, unlikely it will ever be known what the exact circumstances of the ignition were. As often happens after horrific events, many things would change after this night, including safety standards and medical procedures for treatment of burn victims that were advanced due to this incident and would become standard. Boric petroleum solution and purple dye to coat the skin and fight infection and skin grafts for healing. Many victims had critical injury to their lungs from breathing in toxic fumes. A new plasma and saline solution was used to treat them. Four categories of treatment were advanced. Fluid retention, infection prevention, treatment of respiratory trauma, and skin service and surgical management. Early post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, studies were done on patients from the Coconut Grove event. And the first use of penicillin on burn victims to fight infection was used on December 2, 1942, at Massachusetts General Hospital on a patient burned in this fire. As for the changes to safety standards, there were many. In the aftermath, the crosshairs immediately fell on Bernie Wolanski, the current owner. He'd been a lawyer to a previous owner killed in a gangland shooting. Although facing a mountain of safety and labor violations, including a lack of operational permits and being convicted of multiple counts of manslaughter, he served only four years in prison before being pardoned by the Massachusetts governor and released due to terminal illness. Many of his violations and a lot of general practice at the time were immediately changed. Let's start with the revolving door. The next time you see one, you'll notice there are doors on either side of the revolving door that open outward. That is a direct result of this fire, as so many died trapped in that overburdened door. Bright, clear exit signs that led to doors that actually open. Wolanski had many of the doors locked or hidden so patrons couldn't leave without paying. Decor that was now fire retardant. Sprinkler systems that may have made all the difference on that night. Tighter adherence to maximum capacity numbers for any public location. These are all today standard procedures for any public place. Today, the former site of the Coconut Grove is partially covered by a hotel. In 1993, a plaque was placed on the brick sidewalk nearby in remembrance of those lost. The plaque was designed by the youngest survivor of the fire, Anthony Mara, and makes reference to Phoenix from the Ashes. And with reforms and advancements that came from this tragedy, that has never been more true. Thank you so much for listening to the maiden episode of Mass Historia. See you next time for episode number two. And remember, seek out history. It can always teach you something new. Bye now.